Hello, this is the Tribe Stories, the curated sermons, conversations, and collections of poetry of the Tribe Lagos. The Tribe Lagos is a gospel expression based in the city of Lagos, committed to reaching the next generation with the message of God's love and grace. May this refresh and revive you as you listen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can we teach now? Is that okay? Let's go into the word of God for today. Thank you so much for the worship. I mean, you guys really make it easy to prophesy. What an awesome worship team. Um, If they're gone by the time I leave, it's because I've kidnapped them. Um, I'm I'm warning Pastor Ferdy in advance. Uh, But uh, let's go into the word of God today and and, and let's be blessed. Tomorrow I'm going to do a lot of prophetic training. Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some practical leadership training, but prophetic leadership. So I want to show you where you are as a people right now, and I want to give you some godly advice and some godly disciplines to help you chart the next 20 years of your life. Can we do that? Yeah. I feel like you're behind me. This is, this is, this is a different kind of church. <laughs> this is good. Okay, so um, I want to give you a, a prophetic chart to help you to map out the next few years of your life and decisions that you ought to be making right now, every single one of you, prophetically. And this is a fresh word. I don't believe in preaching messages I preach in other churches. I, I believe every nation I go to, God has a message for. And so I believe God has a message for you today. So, you know, whilst I was tossing and turning and dreaming, I woke up and I took notes. And thank God uh, the driver was late to pick me up so I could take some more time to... I was really enjoying my time in the Lord. So when he called me, he said, I'm so sorry. I said, don't be. Please, take your time. You know, I was really just just having a good time. I want to go into the word of the Lord today. And I want to talk about um, stewarding corporate vision versus personal entrustment. But I also want to talk about it from the perspective of generationally. Because unless we build generationally, we are always going to be stewards and masters of our own personal entrustment. And what I mean by that is we're never going to see past our own nose, past our own needs, and past our own self. So I want to talk today about how do you build past yourself? How do you build beyond yourself? To do that, you have, you and I have got to be people who always have the next generation in our viewpoint. And I mean at any stage. Our fathers did many things well, but one of the biggest mistakes of our, old, of our church fathers or our old church roots was that they waited till they were about to die before they invested in the next generation. Many of them waited till they were 50. Many of them waited till they couldn't travel anymore, till they were personally incapacitated, and then went and found somebody else to lay an entrustment to. And I want to challenge you, you are never too young or too old to invest in somebody else. But you and I have got to build generational. Now, everybody, everywhere I go, every nation I go to, everybody gets excited with a personal prophecy. You know, I can feel all over the room. It's my turn next. I get it. I hear you. I feel your pull. I'm ready. We're going to come and prophesy over many of you tomorrow. In fact, many of you are going to prophesy over each other for the first time tomorrow because I believe my sheep hear my voice. And so in the Old Testament, what was a ceiling in the New Testament is a floor. So that means every single one of you hears the voice of God. 
your amens look suspicious today. Every single one of you hears the voice of God. And so it's important that as we teach, it's important that as we train, that, that you all understand that this is an impartation time, but this is a teaching time for another level, to bring you into another dimension of building generationally. If you don't build with generations in mind, you will automatically live your life for yourself. Something happened in the church when a new message started coming in. And it was almost an Oprah-type message. And I'm not a church basher. I love the church. The church has bit me. The church has rejected me. The church has hurt me. But I still hug the church every single time. It's not a lion bite. It's a sheep bite. I can live with a sheep bite. Amen. It's, it's, it's all good. I love the church. I love the sheep. I don't care how painful the church has been. I'll still hug and love on the church and the body of Christ. Because he... I, I often wondered with church whether God changed his mind when he said, I'll build my house. I always call into God and say, God, have you changed your mind? And you look at these people, they're crazy. You know? But, but, but you know, Christ still loves the church. He's still, he hasn't changed his mind just because we have. And so, you know, I, I understand this, that my life is stronger lived when I'm building generationally. I... My prophetic message is more accurate when I'm building generationally. My ministry lasts longer when I am building generationally. Everybody gets excited about personal prophecies. Nobody really, every time I, I come to church and I give a corporate prophecy, I say, the Lord says over all of you, people don't get excited because everybody wants a me time. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to your neighbor. Everybody wants a me time. Oh, me, when's my word? When's my word? But if you understand the God we serve, you will understand no prophecy is personal. There is no such thing in God as a personal prophecy. Joseph's prophecy was about his entire generation. David's prophecy was about an entire kingdom. When we understand there is no such thing as personal prophecy, we'll stop prophecy chasing. Because your prophecy is a setup for your problem. Should I say it one more time? Your prophecy is a setup for your problem. I can imagine the church of Job. I can imagine the church of Job. I can imagine that preacher coming in one day and say, can you give me some help with some old Pentecostal T.D. Jake stuff? And then he says, oh, Job, God says, I'm going to give you double. was his predicament. Your prophecy is a setup for your problem. Can you imagine the heavens open and, and a prophecy doesn't even come from a man, doesn't even come from John, it comes from God. And John says, I saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove. The Bible says, and immediately the Spirit led him into the palace <laughs> to enter into his promise and sit cool 
No. He was led to trouble. Because your prophecy is a setup for your problem. Prophecy to problem. Your problem is your promise in disguise. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? David wasn't a king the day he got a crown. David was a king the day he got a problem. Your prophecy will bring you to your Goliath. Your Goliath is your success disguised as a problem. And every one of us has been. But let me just say this very quickly. When we don't build generationally, and we build short-sighted, and we build for ourselves, we make more mistakes because we don't know what's at stake. Did you understand what I said then? Abraham. Somebody comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, is that your wife? No. Or her? No, she's my sister. What is that? Not really a lie. Half lie. Because it was his half sister. Amen. Isaac, is that your wife? No, that girl there, that's my sister. What is that? Whole lie. <laughs> Jacob is born and his name means lie. Why? Because if you don't deal generationally, you make short-term mistakes and the next generation gets to live with it. One told a half lie, the other told a whole lie. The third one manifested as a lie. So you and I, I believe, we've got to get ready to build generationally. We, we cannot afford to not build for the next generation. It's so important. You see, David had a problem. His problem was woman. If you don't build generationally, you will see... What's her name? Bathsheba. I was thinking Bethesda. Bathsheba. Right, what kind of prophet is this? You will see, you will see Bathsheba as, as someone who is attracted to you. She's not attracted to you. Bathsheba is not attracted to you. Men, Potiphar's wife is not attracted to you. She's attracted to what's on you. Oh, tell me, what are you talking about there? Can I just explain something? The prophetic. So, you know what the prophetic, how do you prophesy, tell me? Can I tell you how I prophesy? It's a mantle. It's a mantle. It, it, I don't wear it. It wears me. It, it, it wears me. The Lord puts me on. Paul, Paul says, the life I live, I'm not living it. Christ is in me living it. In other words, he wears Paul. Christ wears me. It's a mantle. It, it, that means I'm a prophet when I'm bowling. I'm a prophet when I'm out with my friends. I'm a prophet when I'm in the house. You know, I'm a prophet wherever I am. 
I was invited to a wedding with some of my friends, and as I'm sitting in this wedding and I'm watching this wedding go on, the Lord speaks to me about the woman behind me and says, tell her I'm going to give her the house and the church she's been looking for. So I turn around with my sister next to me and say, hey, the Lord says he's going to give you the house and the church you've been looking for. And she screamed in the wedding. She said, are you an angel? Who are you? Because when you, and then my assistant came to me, he goes, how did you know that? How did you, what are you doing? What are you doing that I'm not going to, no, no, can I tell you? It's a grace. It's a mantle. It's, it's nothing, I am nothing special. I'm a piece of, you know, somebody say you're a great man of God. No, I'm a man that knows a great God. There's a difference. And because I know this great God and because he wears me and because he sees a privilege, Paul said, the life I live, it's not me, it's the grace. There's a grace, there's a mantle. When you and I, and I'm going to give you some meat here, can you chew well? Yeah. Can you chew well? Yeah. You guys look really suspicious. Can you chew well? <laughs> I mean, you're Nigerian, you can't chew well. Break the table meat. Can I give you a, a mystery? Is that okay? Yes, yes. What did Adam and Eve lose in the garden? Come on, answer at me. What did they lose in the garden? Communion? No, because God still spoke to them. What did they lose? Intimacy. Intimacy? No, because God was still intimate with them and covered them. Even what those sight? Very good. The ability to distinguish one between good and evil. Good? What did they primarily lose? Come on, somebody give me something tangible. Those are intangible things. That's an intangible thing. What did they lose tangibly? The Bible says Satan came to steal. What did he steal? Steal light? The garden. Let's not talk about intangible. What tangible thing did Satan steal? What inheritance? Clothes! Who said it? So they said it, she stole it. Hey, the Bible taken by force. So they loved it. They lost their clothes. 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 I challenge you that the most important thing in your spiritual walk is your clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the most nice. Hear me when I say this. 
Jesus meets Nicodemus. I'm going to give you something so simple. You can take it to the back. Jesus meets Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, Hey, good teacher, you're a miracle worker. No one can do these miracles you're doing unless God is with him. He says, Hey, listen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see. That means, if you're born again, you should see. Hello? Hi. If you're born again, you should be prophetic. Where everybody else sees the earth, you should see the kingdom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes. He says, unless, thank you for putting that up, you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's why, that's why many of us miss our blessing because we're busy trying to see people after the flesh. And Paul said, hereby we know no man after the flesh. We know people after the spirit. We know people after the spirit. When God tells me to speak to somebody, and even if that person looks scraggly and looks broke and looks broke down, I will still go speak to that person because we don't know people after the flesh. Samuel almost missed his David connection because he was looking at the outward man. He says, unless you're born again, no sir, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He said, what are you talking about? So when... Jesus is talking about spirituality. Nicodemus reverts to biology. And he says, how can I be born again when I'm old? What do I do? Do I enter into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, first of all, you're gross. No. That is not what we're talking about. He says, unless you are born of the Spirit, you, and it goes a step further, cannot enter the kingdom of God. The difference between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets is this. Old Testament prophets got to see and not enter. New Testament prophets get to see from being inside. My God. That's why John said, hey, anybody who's come before John, John was the greatest, but anyone who comes after him, anyone, he didn't say any prophet, he said anyone. Because John was the last of the Old Testament. He got to see and not enter. Moses got to see, but not enter. Old Testament only see, but they'll never enter. That's why Paul said you in the New Testament get to go beyond the veil. You get to live in the realm eternal and see this life through that life. You see the natural from the supernatural. They saw the supernatural from the natural. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They got to see in the spirit. You and I get to see from the spirit. Are you getting this? Yes. This is me and my message. You guys have got me going off, off topic here, but let's just go here for a second. I might share this other message tomorrow. You and I get to see from the Spirit. The Spirit is a world. 
It is more real than this world you live in right now. The spirit is a real world. And the Bible says to every prophet, we all behold in part. I will never get the whole picture. I will never see the whole picture of somebody's life. I will only see in part. Because the Bible says we see in part. The Bible says we behold in part. I remember being in a church in Scotland and I was preaching. It was up far up north in Scotland. I was preaching in a church there. And as I was prophesying over this man and this woman, I was prophesying about a disease in her body that made digestion very difficult. And I was prophesying about a blackballing that was set against their character. I had no idea that the man was an ex-pedophile. Why? I mean, the pastors came to me after angry. They said, you prophesied he's been blackballed, but he did say it was his fault. I said, well, that's not what God said. God didn't show me that part. Anybody who claims to have the whole picture is a cult. Run. If they come there, I see the whole thing. The Lord's giving me every vision about everything in the world that's going to happen. We are the right church. You stay in our church, you will go to heaven. You run like Forrest Gump. Because we all behold God. The only one that has the full picture is God. No prophet has the whole picture. Not even Elijah, as great as he was, he said, God has kept this thing from me. We all behold in people, people say this to me all the time. Man, at the end of the day, you read my mail. It's like you know my whole life. I don't know your whole life. It's like that, but I don't. There are things I don't know about you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, there are things I know that I won't share in an open setting. There are things I just don't know. Are you hearing me? Jesus meets a woman. He says, hey, woman, you've been married five times. The person you're living with isn't your husband. She goes, whoa. I receive your prophet. She runs into the city and says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He didn't tell you everything. <laughs> but we assume that because a prophet knows something, that a prophet knows everything. The prophetic doesn't get to know everything. It only gets to know what the Spirit of God is revealing at that time. Are you hearing me? So people say, oh God, give me a greater part. Give me a bigger word. Give me something that I can really make and go, oh, man of God, woman of God. And then God gives you, Because what you do with the part God gives you and how you steward the part God gives you determines what God does next. But we all live in the spirit in the part. Why? Because there's one reason why we see in part. Because our bodies are too limited to see the whole thing. Yes. This earthly body cannot contain the fullness of God's prophetic. It's too limited. When God spoke to me, speaks to me about people, if he speaks to me in the morning, if I don't write it down, I'll forget. Amen? Because this body is limited. This body is finite. It can't contain all the manifold wisdom of God. That's why Paul said we eagerly wait for the manifestation of our new bodies. Because that body, when that body comes, the Bible says there will be no more prophecy. Prophecy will cease. Why? Because when the whole comes, who needs the part? Are you hearing this? But the spirit world is a real world and Paul said we're supposed to live there. 
every single person in this room is supposed to live in that world. You, you, we are not supposed to visit that world. We're supposed to live in that world. We live in the world of the Spirit. We do everything we do, whether it's business, media, entertainment, education, do it from the Spirit. Now listen, I said the Spirit, not spooky. Some people aren't in the Spirit, they're in the spooky. There's a difference between being in the Spirit and being in the spooky. And I want to show you very quickly the marks of a spiritual person. First Corinthians chapter 2 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. Second thing you need to know about the Spirit is the Spirit is a world in which things have already been prepared for you. Hello? Everything you need is already in the Spirit. Third thing you need to know about the world of the Spirit is the Spirit is the causal realm. Repeat after me. The Spirit is the causal realm. The Spirit is the causal realm. Look at the person next to you and say, the Spirit is the causal realm. Find somebody who looks less suspicious and say, The Spirit is the causal realm. Everything happens because it happened in the Spirit first. If you're trying to change people in the natural, you are Harry Potter. This witchcraft. Change happens in the spirit. That's why when God wanted to let light be, he spoke it in the spirit first. The spirit is a... Fourth thing you need to know, if I'm numbering this well, is the spirit is a far superior realm to the earth realm. Far superior. Healing happens because somebody's walking in the spirit. Miracles are birthed because somebody's walking in the spirit. There was a day when the Lord challenged me. He said, son, do you want to see more miracles than you've ever seen in your ministry before? I said, yes, Lord, I want to see it. He said, go on a fast. I said, oh. I said, how long? He said, 21 days. I said, okay, Lord, I'll break at six. He said, no, 21 days. I said, hallelujah. I, I heard every word. That's just not the wisdom of God. That's just not the wise thing to do. Come on. You should be doing a fruit pastel fast or a Facebook fast or a Twitter fast. You know, the 21st century fast that we do. You know the ones. He said, no, I want you to go on a fast. So I went on a fast for 21 days. The only thing I did was I drank water. Drank water and a little bit of, of apple juice. Apart from that, I ate nothing. For 21 days, I was praying and fasting. Did I see the Lord go? <laughs> In fact, half of the time I was fasting, I was meditating on when I was going to be finished fasting. <laughs> I was imagining all the things I would eat. <laughs> oh, boy, no. I was just thinking. Just my mind was going. I was telling my wife, prepare this meal. In the second week of fasting, I'll teach on fasting maybe next time I come here because I believe the church needs to get back to true fasting. I know. I believe it. 
I believe we need to get back to true fasting. Because true fasting will release the supernatural. Second week of my fast was the most freeing thing. Now the second week of my fast, I didn't even desire food. Go to a point where all I was desiring was the presence of the Lord. Third week of my fast, the Lord was beginning to visit me in tangible ways. As we were fasting, we birthed a program called uh, Prophetic Voice in the Watch, which you've tuned in on. Whilst we were doing the watch, we were doing it because we were encouraging other people to fast with us. Some people did do the full 21 days. They, they did with us. As we were fasting, there were people on our Facebook Live channel that were saying, I've been healed. And they were sending us the medical reports. One person had spina, bif uh, spina bifida. And they sent us the picture of before and after. All of a sudden, we were getting miracle after miracle after miracle being sent in by email. And I could read all of them to you. They're on my computer. I could read all of them. Miracles upon miracles upon miracles. One person said, I had cancer in my belly. They were going to operate. The doctors opened up to pull out the cancer. And they couldn't find the cancer, so they zipped me back up again. I mean miracles we were beginning to see. Why? Because when you and I start to live in the Spirit, Practice spiritual things. All of a sudden, you begin to realize that the life you're living is no longer you living it. You step out of self-consciousness and into God-consciousness. Nakedness is self-consciousness. It is the absence of God-consciousness. Someone says, are you ever afraid when you prophesy? No, because I'm not self-conscious. When I am self-conscious, I am afraid. Because I am naked. And because I have no clothes. The first manifestation of fear is nakedness. If ever you are afraid to do something in God, you have got to check whether you are in God. Because when you are in God, there is no fear. Because perfect love will drive out that fear. The, the absence of God is the presence of fear. When God is absent, fear is present. When God is present, fear is absent. And it's not that you still don't have fear. It's just that fear no longer has you. You step into a place where you're no longer operating in your own capacity. You're operating in the capacity of God. And this is a powerful place to be. So let me come back to this. Born again. What does it mean to be born again? To be born again literally means the existence of something in reality. Or to appear as a product of your parents. That's what being born again means. Or to appear in a realm. Or to exist. That's what to be born means. So be born again means that you appear in a different realm. How do I appear in a realm? You appear in a realm through parental consent. In other words, two parents of similar genotype have to mutually consent, or not consent unfortunately, to give birth to you. And as those two parents come together, they have to be of equal type so that you can be born. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And so in order to be born again, to be born, you have to come into the same gene type as your 
parent. That's why the book of Genesis is the book of Genesis. It's the book of your gene pool. It's God trying to tell you where you hail from or where you genetically come from. So you don't one day believe you came from apes and start acting like monkeys. You start to believe you are a product of the image of God because God is your DNA. So the original DNA of man was not cells and atoms. The original DNA of man was the spirit. The spirit is your DNA. If a dog has a partner and they have a baby, what do you call it? A dog. A dog, thank you. If a cow has a baby with a mutually consenting partner, what's the baby called? A cow or a calf, thank you. If a giraffe, we can do this all day, has a baby, what's the baby? The giraffe. It will be a scary day if you watch animal programs and you saw an elephant give birth to a rat. I mean, how many of you will think that is a horror movie? Because everything born has to be born as a product of the thing that it's birthing. Are you hearing this? And this is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, flesh, your flesh, because flesh gave birth to you. But you are spirit because spirit will give birth to you. And so in Genesis 1, the Bible says, God says in verse 26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. The word image is the Hebrew word tesalem. It means phantom. It means spirit. It means apparition. It means a, a an immaterial substance or something that you cannot see in the natural world. That means you and I looking in at Genesis 1.26 would have seen nothing. We Have you ever seen the mind? That's all we would have seen. God would have seen everything because God is spirit. So in his dimension, he knows what he's creating. In our fallen three-dimensional world, we have no capacity to see in that dimension. Are you following me so far? I told you there's going to be me. Are you ready for it? We have no capacity. So we would have seen nothing. God would have been creating a man. Now look what God said to this man. God said, I'm going to give this man dominion. Which man? The man of the spirit. The man of the spirit. Then he said, he went a step further. I'm going to bless this man. Which man? The man of the spirit. So he looks at the man of the spirit and he says, be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. Step to it. And have king domain. Have dominion in your kingship. As long as you stay in the spirit, you will have dominion. And then the Bible says, so in Genesis 1, we rightfully, from now on, if you can, go into your Bible and write on Genesis 1, creation. On Genesis 2, verse 7, the Bible says something very interesting. It says, then the Lord God formed the man that he had made. When did he make him? In Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, God creates him. In Genesis 2, God forms him. Genesis 1 is your creation. Genesis 2 is your formation. Genesis 1, God blessed. Genesis 2, God cursed. Because the dust he cursed. 
the flesh. Run your job in the flesh. Go to work in the flesh. You are living under the curse. Because the dominion mandate was only promised to the man of the spirit. Only to the man of the spirit is dominion a promise and a guarantee. That's why I do nothing in the flesh. That's why Paul said, hey, don't just live there. My God, walk there. Work there. Go to market or shopping supermarkets there. Go, go, go out there. Do everything you do. Do it as an operation of the Spirit. Now, Paul was not giving us license to be weird or spooky. He was giving us license to operate from the causal realm. Just think about this for a second. God blesses Genesis 1, God curses Genesis 2. God creates Genesis 1, God forms Genesis 2. I'm going to shock you with this next statement. Can I shock you? In the beginning, the spirit was not inside the body. The body was inside the spirit. That's why Adam didn't even know he was naked. Because he was clothed in his divine nature. Was that too big for you? The spirit wore him. He wasn't taking the spirit or telling the spirit where to go. The spirit was telling him where to go. He didn't even know he had eyes. He had spiritual eyes. He didn't know he had physical ears. He had spiritual ears. He was clothed completely and totally in the spirit. When God brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them, why was God doing that? Because God gave Adam dominion. And when he gives Adam dominion over everything in the earth, God cannot go over the person he's given authority to. So he says, Adam, what do you call this? And God said, I call it a lion. I mean, Adam said, I call it a lion. And God said, well done. Adam could name every animal exactly what God named them because he had the mind of God. Just think about this for a second. Something happened. I don't even have time to tell you how the snake got in the garden. Maybe I'll tell you really quickly. How did the snake get into the garden? Somebody asked me this. How did the snake get into the garden? How did that serpent get into that garden? Can I tell you how that serpent got into the garden? He was already there. It was his home. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Eden belonged to Satan before it belonged to you. That's why God said subdue. He's telling him, overcome that snake. Kick that snake out before it kicks you out. Are you hearing this? So Adam had a choice. Adam had a moment. Listen to this. Let me tell you what happened. Adam says, Eve says to Adam, hey, take this fruit. It's great. He takes the fruit. eats the fruit. When he eats it, the Bible says, and the eyes of them both were open. Can I tell you what happened in the spirit? Satan did this. 
Well, why did Satan take his clothes? Satan took his clothes so that he could put them on himself. Well, tell me, what are you talking about? The Bible says in the book of Job, there was a time when the sons came to present themselves before God. And guess who showed up? Satan. How did he get there? He stole it. Are you hearing this? He stole it. Who was the prince of this world before Satan? Adam was. Why is Satan called the God of this world now? God is not a name. God is an office. There are all kinds of people who get offended when we call people gods. How do you call Adam a god? Because if a dog gives birth, it has a dog. Cat has a cat. If a god gives birth, guess what it gives birth to? A god. He says, I said in your word, you are all gods. Each of these sons of God. But if you'll die like me and man. Because I gave birth to you. Now, not big G, little G. Come, you know, calm yourself. You're a little G. God is not his name. That's why he says, in Exodus chapter 5, I revealed myself to them as God, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make my name known to them. His name is Yahweh. His office is God. So Adam has the office. Satan steals the office. How did he steal the office? He stole his clothes. Now let me wrap up real quick with this. He steals the clothes. Look at this. They were naked. Can I tell you what happens next? God comes walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. The word cool is a very important word. It's the Hebrew word ruach. It means spirit. So God comes walking in the garden in the spirit. Why? Because God is spirit. And he created Adam as a spirit. He formed him as a man. And God says, Adam! Where are you? couldn't find it. Because Adam died that moment. So how did Adam die? When your spirit dies, you're dead. I don't care how alive you think you are. When your spirit dies, you're dead. Adam died that day. And this is why from that moment on, when God wanted to use somebody, who will put a mantle on them. Because the mantle, I'm going to shock you with this, the mantle is you. The spirit is you. Genesis 1 is you. Genesis 2, this is not Tommy. That's why he said Jeremiah, he said Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew. Jeremiah said, what do you mean before you formed How could God know me before he formed me? No, before I Genesis 2 you, yeah. I Genesis 1 you. Yeah. I obeyed this to a prophet. And then Genesis 2, say, but God, I'm just a child. And God said, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm talking to you. For hereby we know no man after the flesh. Don't you dare say you're just a child. Don't you dare say you're too young. Don't you dare say it's too late. God doesn't see how men see. The mantle is you. Trumbo Lexus says, make for Aaron and his sons garments that they may serve me as priests. Without the mantle, I cannot serve him. When I, that's why when Aaron took off his clothes, he died. 
Do you remember that? Yes. Took off his clothes, he died. On that mountain, God said, take off your clothes, he died. Why? Because you reach a point in the spirit where you are so clothed in the spirit that it accelerates your mortal body. And you don't know that you're not living on earth's time, you're living on God's time. The moment we take that mantle off, his age caught up with him and killed him. Did you, did you hear that? The mantle is you. This is why Joseph was with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife said, sleep with me. This is why I say, man, they're not attracted to you. They're attracted to what's on you. Look at this. This woman could have grabbed anything. You'll figure that out when you get to your car. She could have grabbed anything, but she chose to grab his clothing. Why? Because the mantle is you. Elijah meets Elisha one day, and they're walking along the way. Come here, Elisha. And they're walking along the way. And he says, go and anoint Elisha to take your place. Can I tell you what an ordination service used to look like? It didn't look like what it looked like today. Bring me the oil. <laughs> This day is the Lord. <laughs> That's not what it looked like. Can I tell you what Elisha's ordination service say here, sir? Say here, say here, Thank you. I love your acting. It's very, very Nollywood. Can I show you what it looked like? Let me show you. This is what it looked like. He said, go and anoint this man to take your place. So he walks, he walks, he walks. And he goes like this and he walks on. And the Bible says, so far did he walk away that Elijah ran after him. He pursued him. He said, hey, man. He said, let me go say bye to my father. He said, that's none of my business. I've done what I've told to do. I was told to anoint you, but I've anointed you. He said, what is this? I didn't even fall over. We didn't even have an uh, ordination service. I didn't even get to wear my best suit. You're just kind of throwing this on me now. What am I supposed to do? And the Bible says, and from that day, Elisha pursued Elijah. And as they're walking, he's following him. He's like, why is this guy following me? Elijah didn't employ him. He employed himself. That's why Elijah's using the toilet, the cubicle. He's in the toilet, and there's Elisha right next to him. He goes, what are you doing? Just leave me alone. He really meant it. This wasn't a, oh, he was trying to No, he's like, I've done it. Why are you following me? Elijah goes to bed. There's Elisha. Midnight. What's wrong? What are you doing? I just love what you say. He's like, what are you doing? As long as you're in the earth, I'm not losing sight of you. Finally follows him to the door and goes, Okay, what do you want? What do you want? He says, I want to double you. He said, one you ran away from from Jezebel. I need double you. (laughs) (laughs) One you is not enough. I need double you. I need a double portion of your spirit. He said, you've asked me a very hard thing. But if you'll see me, when I'm taken from you. Now, why did he say you've asked me a very hard thing? Because Elijah, you cannot give what you don't have. It's a of the spirit. That means Elijah was carrying the capacity for the double portion. 
but he wasn't using the full capacity of the double portion. Are you hearing this? Well, how do you know this? Because he gave one mantle to Elisha, but he was still wearing one. Hello? So when a chariot came and threw Elijah into the air, the second one came down. The 50 sons of the prophet said, maybe God has taken him to a mountain somewhere. But Elijah realized something. Hereby we know no man after the foot. He said, there's Elijah. And he took up Elijah. And with Elijah, he struck the waters. You're not convinced. Jesus is walking one day. And the Bible says, everybody's touching him. Because they all think to themselves, if we can touch him, we'll be host. Everyone's touching. Somebody's grabbing his hand and running away. Somebody's grabbing his foot and running. Somebody's touching his hair and walking away. A woman crawls through the crowd and she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. What mystery did this woman get that none of us are understanding? He, she, she crawls through and she she touches it and she runs away. And Jesus said, Who touched me? Peter said, Everybody's touching you. Jesus said, No, somebody touched me. Because the mantle is you. Dear God. Thank you. God sent me here to impart a mantle. I believe in another generation. And without a mantle, another generation can never be raised. And so sad it is that we wait till we're about to die or go before we transfer the spirit of God, before we transfer the mantle. Can I tell you there are mantles that are living in this earth today that are waiting for you to pick them up. There are mantles that will never leave the earth until they finish. Even if the person has died that mantle is still there. What are you talking about? Can I tell you even though Elijah thought, I'd run away, I'd escape Jezebel. Woo! Thank God she didn't do to me what I did to those prophets. I killed them, I took their heads off. Thank God she didn't do the same thing. My God. She, he's probably sitting in heaven going, God, I finished. Woo! I was like, you're not done. He says, you're coming back. But what are you talking about? John the Baptist comes. And who's he wearing? The mantle of Elijah. And God told you so he was wearing the exact same mantle that Elijah was wearing. That camel fur, when you read what Elijah wore, he wore that camel fur. In fact, theologians believe that that camel fur was kept in the temple waiting for the mantle of Elijah to arise in John. And when John came, 
theologians believe he took up Elijah's clothes to finish Elijah's unfinished assignment. But I tell you, even John, even John, when he came and he came to fulfill what he fulfilled, Jezebel fulfilled her promise. Because just as the spirit of Elijah runs, the spirit of Jezebel is waiting. And can I tell you, leaders in Nigeria, if you're busy saying, I don't want control, I don't want to be controlled by leaders, and you're running away from your ministries because somebody's trying to control you, can I tell you, you got to take the head of your Jezebel. Otherwise, it will rise up and rise up and keep rising up in every generation. This is a time when Nigeria needs to be set free from controlling, manipulative leadership. And somebody has got to rise up in the spirit of Jehu and take a sword of the spirit and say enough is enough. Rise to your feet. Let's pray. I want you to pray in the spirit until you see your mantle coming. Because if you see it, ah, that's it.
you can log on to thetribelagos.com or email us at hello at thetribelagos.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on The Tribe Lagos. God bless.